hey, what's your Enneagram number? When I asked that question, I bet one of three things happened. One, you instantly thought of your Enneagram number. Maybe you even know your wing like and what it means for your life and business. Nerd alert, that's me. Number two, you thought, ugh, I need to take that test. Either again, because it's been a while, or for the first time. Or three, you said, any of what? Ah, okay, so which one are you? One, two, or three? The good news is you're going to love today's episode because it's with Ian Morgan Cron, champion of the Enneagram, psychotherapist, and best-selling author. So Ian uses the Enneagram personality typing system as a tool to help leaders and business owners cultivate self-awareness and emotional wisdom. Y'all, I geeked out. This is the stuff that I live for because we could talk about business strategy. We could talk about social media. We could talk about sales. We could talk about funnels. And even though you might know all those things, ah, the thing that will set us apart is self-awareness and knowing who we are, aka emotional wisdom. And today, Anne's going to teach you what the Enneagram is, why self-awareness is crucial to emotional maturity, how to use your knowledge of the Enneagram to better your business, and so much more. It was a fascinating conversation. This episode is juicy, and I am so honored to welcome Ian onto the podcast today. Let's listen in. Ladies and gentlemen, this has been a long time coming. I have to tell you that I sat behind a stage and I listened to somebody command an audience in Nashville, Tennessee, and he was commanding an audience by truth with a capital T. He was talking about something called Enneagram, something that I had been with obsessed with for years. And all of a sudden I heard somebody captivate an audience, keep people interested and really offer an understanding of who people are and then how they behave in the world and how they behave on teams. It was absolutely fascinating. I waited a long time to get Ian on the show. I'm so happy you're here. Ian, thank you for joining us on the Jasmine Star Show. Man, this is going to be really fun. Now, I have to tell you that when I t- chatted with my team a couple weeks ago, we were all talking about Enneagram, about half of the team was familiar with Enneagram and the other half had never heard of it. So if we take that very scientific approach, I'm going to assume that half of our listeners at this moment know about Enneagram and the other half don't. So what's the nutshell version? What's the most that we can learn in a short amount of time to really help contextualize this conversation? And then we'll encourage people to dive deeper with Enneagram. But can you explain what that nutshell version is for us? Sure. So the Enneagram is this uh, wonderful ancient personality typing system. It it teaches that there are nine basic personality styles in the world, one of which we gravitate toward and adopt in childhood as a way to cope, to protect ourselves, and to navigate the new world of uh, relationships. Um, It Very importantly, the Enneagram teaches us that that each of these types has an unconscious motivation that powerfully influences how they habitually and predictably act, think, and feel from moment to moment. Okay. Speaking of how people think and feel from moment to moment, I have to say that I follow you on Instagram and I I don't know who was sitting with you as you were driving and somebody was in the passenger seat and they decided to just have fun on Instagram stories. And then they asked you, okay, if I was an Enneagram one, what would I eat for lunch? 
And then each <laughs> subsequent story was going through one of the nine Enneagrams. And my husband is an Enneagram two. And when you got to two, which is right at the beginning, I was cackling and I sent that story to my husband. And I said, you, you would eat shepherd's pie. You would eat something comforting. And then you got to an Enneagram three and you had said, and to which I'll never forget, you said that you would probably ask your assistant to go and get you lunch. And I was laughing and my husband said, not only do you, would you want an assistant to get you lunch you would also beg the assistant to eat the lunch for you and hope that you feel full and i was like that's me (laughs) and uh ian lastly i have a twin sister and she's an enneagram seven and they would just want to eat something fun something lively something celebratory and i said my goodness he is so good at what he do at, at what you do that you can predict what somebody might eat and feel very very satisfied with now i just thought that that is that's showcasing a person in their place of power their knowing and their way to contextualize things in the world. So how did you get involved with Enneagram in the first place? Because I think that's going to set the tone for the rest of the conversation. Yeah, I was in graduate school studying to become uh, a psychotherapist. And I took a weekend off and went up to a retreat center in the mountains of Colorado. And I happened upon a book uh, about the Enneagram. And I remember I'd been in grad school already for a year. And I remember thinking, where on earth has this tool been? Like, why hasn't anyone spoken to us about this? Because it was such an accessible, actionable treatment uh, and exploration of how people show up for life, right? And what I also realized at that moment was that when clients came to see me, that it probably would save me about a year of having to figure out what was happening in their inner terrain right? Now, the Enneagram isn't perfect. It's not a replacement for pharmaceuticals if you're depressed or anxious. It's not any of that stuff, but it gives us a powerful, low-resolution picture of what the internal inner workings of the human personality for these nine types is like. And I, I, I just find it compared to Hogan and Colby and Disc and Myers-Briggs, all of which I love. They have a place. But I find it to be far more applicable in my work with corporate clients, which is the majority of my work. I don't have a therapeutic practice anymore, but as a counselor, I naturally gravitate toward it with everybody, you know, and I've just never come across something as fundamentally useful for people to develop self-awareness and self-knowledge. So Ian referenced a book that he discovered in his path about Enneagram. And I have to take a second here and probably give a shout out, a shameless plug, because The Road Back to You, an Enneagram journey to self-discovery was what really opened my eyes to understanding how deep knowing you have the subject matter. Now, Ian and I are chatting here. And if you're listening and you're still unsure what Enneagram really means to you, what he said is a very simple picture of understanding who you are. Now, when I start working with people, if they happen to know their Enneagram and they tell me they're a seven, they tell me they're a four, I immediately, no, it's not a piece of judgment. It's a place of understanding that every number has a dark side and a light side. Now, I know that I am a three wing four and this enables me, and if you could tell me if I'm wrong, but I think it enables me to make quick decisions. I'm very efficient and I can connect well with others, but the not so 
you know, the darker side of being this Enneagram is that um, I really do depend on what, what other people are saying. I really like that validation. Um, I have trouble resting. So do you have any advice for me and other Enneagram threes on like how we can use our performance tendencies in a good way? Sure. And I think maybe in a moment it would be helpful maybe just to even run through a one sentence description of all nine types. If you could do that, that would be great. And I'm like, I know we have a certain amount of time together, but let's do that. Let's start there. I love it. Great. And then when the time comes, we'll circle back to threes, which you are. And then well, we'll I'm, I'm just being it. selfish, Ian. Like, I'm like, let's just make this a free session. Yes. Let's <laughs> well, go through, let's go well, through one I through nine. I told you I'm a therapist. I'm happy to talk about you for the next hour, but it will cost you 200 bucks. <laughs> okay. Noted. Let's go through one through nine. Thank you. All right. So ones are called the improvers. We used to call them per- the perfectionists, but uh, they didn't like that term because it just sounded so negative out of the gate. Uh, so when I changed it to the improvers, I, you know, if I had a nickel for every improver that thanked me, I'd be Jeff Bezos, I think, at this point. <laughs> um, so ones are called the improvers. They ha- their unconscious motivation, and that's a very important term, as I mentioned earlier, is this compulsive need to uh, perfect themselves, others, and the world. Okay, Because mm-hmm. they see a world that is just full of errors and mistakes and disorder that requires ordering, right? Twos are called the helpers, warm, supportive, generous, kind. Um, They have a need to be liked. I mean, really, if you get down to it with twos, they have a need to be liked. The way that the strategy they use to win that validation and approval from other people is through meeting the needs of others. Okay. (laughs) <laughs> threes are called the performers and now we're into your neighborhood productivity minded goal oriented nobody loves a to-do list like a three nobody <laughs> nobody wants to win more than a three right uh and really what, what are threes looking for threes are fundamentally hungry for an experience of being valuable to others right mm. And their strategy, though, is they have this compulsive need to succeed, to appear successful, and to avoid failure at all costs, okay? Um, fours uh, are called the individualists. That's my neighborhood. That's my type. Fours are sometimes called the unicorns of the Enneagram. They're, we think there are fewer fours than any other type in the world, which absolutely thrills the fours. <laughs> <laughs> we really have this fundamental unconscious need to belong in a world in which we don't feel like we do. There's a disproportionate number of artists uh, who are fours because they write out of this kind of melancholy and a sense of alienation in the world. Their need is to be special and unique because they think if I can just be different enough, people will finally let me come home from the Isle of Misfit Toys, you know, and Mm. uh, be part of the tribe. Fives are called uh, the investigators, the most analytical, detached, uh, at times, yeah, emotionally aloof uh, of types. Um, These are people who uh, have this compulsive need to gather information and facts and knowledge in order to fend off feelings of inadequacy and and ineptitude. Mm -hmm. Sixes are called the loyalists. Uh, We think there are more of these than any other type in the world. These are people who are witty, fun, loyal, great team members. Um, They have a need to feel safe and secure. That's the big unconscious motivation. 
Uh, they're also then worst case scenario thinkers who are always scanning the horizon, looking for what could go wrong in order to rehearse what wow. they're going to do should the worst happen, which in the mind of the six probably is, right? <laughs> in order to feel safe and secure in an unpredictable world. Sevens uh, are called uh, the enthusiasts. Um, funny, great storytellers, people who bring the joy everywhere they go, energetic, great entrepreneurs. I could go on and on. I love sevens. I've got a son who's a seven. But these are people who have this unconscious motivation. They have a need to avoid psychological and emotional pain. And the way they do it is by always looking to a future of unlimited possibilities, new escapades and fun. You know, it's like they do not want to deal with the hard stuff. They just want to stay in Neverland. You know, eights uh, are called the challengers, blunt, aggressive, sometimes um, big, larger than life personalities who have a need to assert strength and control over the environment and others in order to mask tender, vulnerable feelings, right? Mm. That, that part of them that's tender and vulnerable. Nines finally are called the peacemakers. Easy going, Hakuna Matata, go with the flow, <laughs> don't rock the boat. Uh, but really the, the, the shadow side of the nine is that they will merge with the opinions and the preferences and the opinions of other people in order to avoid creating conflict. They want to avoid mm. conflict at all costs. Now that's the nine types. However, I, you know, I could write a hundred pages on each of these types. So I just gave you a one sentence yes. kind of place holding description of them. And I believe that this placeholder will spark more interest in learning about, because as Ian was going through this, there might've been one or two or maybe three that you're like, I could be this, or I could be that. But truly he gave just a few, like a couple sentences on each. If you go through and you take the test, where do you recommend people taking the test? I've heard this different ways. Well, the first thing I would tell people is do two things. Read that book, The Road Back to You. I, that's a shameless self-marketing moment. But, but it's but really I, good. It's well, really good. The reason I think it's helpful is because it's a primer. It's an introduction. And other books on the Enneagram, which are also wonderful, tend to be four or 500 pages, and they can be very clinical and difficult to read, mm. right? I have a test on my website. Uh, Ian Cron or Ian Morgan Cron, I A N M O R G A N C R O N dot com. It's called the IEQ nine. And at this moment, I'm working on you know other things, but at the moment, I would say it's the most accurate test with the most robust report available. Thank you so much. And so, yeah, we, I, like as listeners are listening, it is an absolute shameless plug, but I don't bring anybody on the podcast that I have a vested interest in other than I'm consuming the content and really having an understanding, a deeper understanding of myself, things to be aware of in myself in relation to my husband, my partner, my business mm -hmm. partners, and my team. So yes. on that note, I want to, I want to tap on two separate questions here. If we have the chance, number one, what do you say to somebody who doesn't like their number on the Enneagram? Or say, um, you know, but I don't want to be a nine or I don't like this. Or on the flip side of that, uh, I had a friend who said, I asked my husband to take the Enneagram test and he insists he's a three. She's like, he is so not a three. Like, what do we do in those situations for people who don't want to be it or people who classify themselves as something other than they're not? Sure. Well, for people who resist it, sometimes I can actually tell their type on the basis of the fact that they resist it. You know, <laughs> there are certain types, you know, there are certain types who have 
have the most trouble finding their way into it because they don't want to be labeled. You know, like fours who are special and unique are often like, I don't want to find out that there are other people like me. I want to believe that there's no one like me. (laughs) Or, you know, uh, sixes can be a little fearful of, of being typed. I remember doing a corporate event once and we had one person there that when we went around the room and asked for their type said, nope, I'm not telling you. And part of it was, I think, because they were fearful that if somebody knew their type, that they would use the information against them, you know, which is a, a typical yeah. six kind of response, you know. When people are ready, people are ready, right? Mm. And I, I would also say that I, there was a Cornell study done a number of years ago. They looked at the lives of 72 high-performing CEOs of companies from like $50 million to $5 billion dollars. And they wanted to determine what characteristic in their psychological makeup could account for their success, right? Was there one? And here was the the line from the study that blows my mind. The conclusion said the key predictor of success among leaders in business is self-awareness. It wasn't grit. It wasn't determination. It wasn't strategic planning. It wasn't, you know, charisma. It wasn't forecasting the future. It was self-awareness. Now, that's the gift of the Enneagram is it gives you self-knowledge and self-awareness, right? Now, I would go on to say that the key predictor of success in life is self-awareness in your marriage, in your parenting, in your friendships with yourself, right? So when people kind of resist, I go, well, if you want to continue going on in the trance of autopilot in which you continue to kind of make the same mistakes over and over again because you lack self-awareness, feel free. I mean, that's certainly your right. You know, for people who mistype, you know, I often have to say to them, look, there's a number of reasons you can mistype, right? There's no, I I could name you five off the top of my head. One of them I have to say to people all the time is you have to accept the fact that in the beginning, the the Enneagram will tell you things about yourself you won't like, right? It's not strengths finder. Who doesn't want to take that (laughs) test? You know what I'm saying? What a great name. It's like, well, I'll definitely take that test. But, you know, the Enneagram in the beginning is not very flattering. I mean, it mm-hmm. is going to reveal things about you that are mm-hmm. uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. If you stick with it long enough, you're going to realize that what's best about you is what's worst about you. And what's worst about you is what's best about you. And that's what the Enneagram is going to reveal. And you really can't grow as a human being without, without a little discomfort. There's just, I don't know of any way to do it. You know, go to therapy for crying out loud. I mean, you know, it, people don't go to therapy because they're looking for fun. You're right. I mean, right. so, you know, for people who mistype, you know, I'm like, don't, Pick the type you'd like to be, own the type that you are. Mm. And a lot of times people be like, I don't want to be that type. So I'm going to peg myself as a different one. And it's like, well, that's going to be a waste of time for a little bit. But, you know, again, everyone's got a journey and I let them go on them. Uh, and so one thing that you just highlighted that I really, I really want to like hone in is that one of the highlights, the best, one of the best things about Enneagram is an indicator or a tool to self-awareness. And mm-hmm. I feel like I have so much more awareness in that, but also awareness of others. Yes. And so when I, so I feel like I have the permission and the freedom to speak about to the police people who are closest to me, who I have improved relationships as a result of the Enneagram. My husband, I have mentioned was a two. And there are times when I can pause and say like, I love you unconditionally, regardless of all the things that you're doing for me. I appreciate them, but I also don't need them. If I feel like he's going above and beyond. And I've noticed that in times of stress, he wants to do more to like establish the family. And I just need to pause there and just say, Hey, like we're okay. We're great. When it comes to my sister, it's important for me to tap in when she's avoiding, avoiding like a a conversation and avoiding an emotion because I realize Mm -hmm. she's over indexed for a future. And we're always living in the future. It has a hard 
hard time, we have a hard time coming back and addressing what's really going on in the present. So self-awareness and then awareness of others. Okay. So I want to know what's your Enneagram and how does it affect your business? So I'm a four. And yes, yeah, and, you did and say so, that. You said that. You know, uh, being a therapist, I'm also, I've been a professional songwriter, uh, artist, uh, write books. I've written a memoir. I've written a novel. So I don't just write self-help books. I have a very strong artistic side. And partly because when you grow up with this lie of an unconscious belief that you don't really have a place of belonging in the world and you frequently lapse into this kind of space of melancholy and being a little too over focused on your own feelings uh, understanding those kind of almost being addicted to your own feelings and suffering you can write songs or write books that touch people's hearts might make you miserable in the process but will reach (laughs) other people right now as I've gotten older and developed self-awareness, I am no longer hostage to that unconscious motivation. Like mm-hmm. I can observe myself, which is part of what self-awareness is, in any given moment and say, you know, you're starting to buy that old story again, that you don't fit, that you don't belong, that you need to be special and unique. Do you really want to go there? Like, do you want to live inside a story that actually isn't true, that helped you as a little kid to understand trauma, experiences you were having? Uh, relationships with other people, but now as an adult, is hurting you? Like, you need to throw away, like, I love what Mo Willems, the children's author, said. He said one time, if you find yourself living in the wrong story, leave. Hmm. And I think people, one of the great things about the Enneagram is it reveals to us these stories that we've been telling ourselves. Like, like for example, it's a three. Threes tend to see a world in which people only value others for what they do and accomplish rather than for who they are inside. That sound true? Oh, yes. Even okay. though the, the lump in my throat would like to uh, counter that. But yes, it's true. Let's just do an interesting exercise here. If I were to ask you to write a memoir about your life from childhood to now, and really kind of thinking more about childhood here, just off the top of your head, I don't want you to think too much. What would you name it? I've thought about this before. I would call it Flickers of Euphoria. Wow. You, you do have a strong four wing. Yeah, um, oh yeah, very strong for, very strong okay. for wing. All right. So here's a here's one. I don't want to mess with yours, but you know, I've had I've asked that of threes a lot of times, and they would say something like, have to win. Oh. You know what I mean? Yes. Or it, or, yes. Or it would be like proving myself or getting it done. You know what I mean? Or yes. whatever. And yes. I say to them, okay, well, that worked for you as a little kid. How's that story working for you now? Mm chances are getting it done or, you know, have to win. People who have to win are generally pretty miserable a lot of the time, right? They're constantly Mm. looking for approval, validation. They're looking for success to be what defines them. If they don't succeed, then somehow or another, they're not worthy of love. Is that story working for you or for any three? No, it's Mm. gonna, you need to become, you need to get free of that story. And the Enneagram can help you understand what the story is and bust out of it. It's not going to stop you from succeeding. You know, that's not what I'm interested in. I'm interested in you over relying on a narrative. That's just not true. You can be loved for who you are, not just for what you do or what you accomplish. Your husband can be loved just for who he is, not for how, not to the degree to which he helps people. Do do you know what I'm saying? And as as long as you're hostage to that message, you're not living your best life. Mm. 
So true. Speaking of living your best life, I'm a big proponent of being in service of others, specifically when it comes to the business world. And one of my favorite quotes of yours is, quote, the Enneagram is a tool that awakens our compassion for people just as they are, not the people we wish they would become in our lives. So as business owners, how can we use the Enneagram to be more compassionate to our customers and our clients? Sure. So let's even back up. I mean, my corporate clients usually in the beginning have me come in to work with a senior management team, with a teams or d- divisions with inside of companies where there's a lot of inefficiencies because people don't understand each other. Mm. Right. And so I come in and I do an eight hour workshop. You would think that I can just tell you most corporate clients, they come in for the day and they're like, the people in the room are like, seriously, eight hours, this is going to be horrible. They are, <laughs> it's not because I'm a rocket scientist or terrifically talented. It's just the material is so great on its own. They just sit on their edge of their seats all day because they're going, that's my mother. That's my brother. Mm-hmm. That's my, that's the yes. person in the cubicle next to me. That's yes. the guy down the hall. That's my client. That's my customer. And then they go, all the lights start going on and they're going, oh, that's why mm-hmm. it, it's not personal. It, it's not, it, this is about interior architecture. And so when they learn that, what arises is compassion, empathy, understanding. And once you start to have that in a culture, everything changes. And soft skills, I mean, just go on Harvard Business Review and look up importance of soft skills. You will catch a million articles, particularly recently, about the importance of these sorts of skills like compassion, empathy, understanding kindness in the workplace who wants to go to a shark tank every day nobody wants to go to work in a shark tank every day right Uh, or very few people and so you know i i do i have seen firsthand how understanding get the ability to get your feet inside someone else's shoes and to see the world the way that they see the world Mm -hmm. is insanely powerful and in corporate settings uh, business settings nonprofit settings i'll finish with this why do people leave companies? Well, uh, retention problems tend to happen when, one, people don't feel understood or valued for their contribution to the organization. That's usually number one, right? It's like my boss doesn't really see me or understand w- what value I bring to the table. I just feel like a cog you know, in this system. Mm. The Enneagram turns that all the way around. Inefficiencies in communication, right? People just different types communicate differently. And when you understand these different communication styles, which I articulate in my workshops, people go like, oh, that's why that person withdraws when there's a conflict. Oh, that's why that person becomes aggressive in this situation. Or this person can't stop, you know, redoing other people's work because they're a perfectionist or because, you know what I mean? And then you go, oh, now I can work with it, right? Mm -hmm. Tell you a quick anecdote, if you don't mind. Please, please. I, I was uh, working with a Fortune 500 company and um, did an Enneagram day. And I, I arrived back six months later to meet with the head of HR just as a follow-up. And I walked down the hallway of this huge you know, building in Manhattan. And uh, this, I couldn't figure out where this woman's office was because none of the suite numbers made sense. None of them in the hallway. It didn't go in sequence. I was like, what the heck? You know? And she came out and she laughed and she said, those aren't the sweet numbers. Those are their Enneagram numbers. And I thought, 
So now when the three walks into a one's office or a one walks into a seven's office, they're reminded, okay, this person sees the world differently than I do. Right. How can I, based on my knowledge of their type and my own type, how can I now walk into this conversation with self-awareness and compassion and empathy, right? To, you know, have effective streamlined conversations that aren't, you know, if they go sideways, I could probably between the two of us, because we both know the Enneagram, get it back on track and even maybe laugh about the miscommunication or, mm -hmm. or what's not happening. So again, proof's in the pudding. I've just seen it work so many times. You know, obviously if the organization really adopts it, I mean, I've just seen it work so beautifully and change cultures in so many different settings that I, I'd love to go out and teach it because it's like, I know this is going to work. So, Okay, you know. Ian, so what I heard um, that people will bring you in to host these um, workshops. Now, a lot mm -hmm. of our listeners are building out teams. So if, yes. we, if we can start now, how does it go when we're trying to build out a team, being cognizant? Like, how do we use Enneagram to build out a strong team? Okay, well, I would just say, start by reading a book together. Just everybody mm -hmm. reads the same book, right? A lot of beginning companies can't afford to bring in a workshop leader for right. a day, right? It's pricey. Right. You know, big companies can throw lots of money around. They just have personal development dollars, right? right? But, you know, you begin by reading a book or you have the team take the IQ9 and sit down together and read the results, right? Become students, not only of yourself, but of each other. And then, you know, during a monthly check-in, people are like, well, here's, here's how I'm growing in self-awareness. Here's how it's helping me in, at work. You know, if you got a two on your team, right, you should know as a leader of a company, you just don't ever want to put that person in a basement office where they're not around people all day long, mm. right? Like they're people people. Like they just want to be around people all the time. They get energy <laughs> from that. You got a five, that five wants to be in the basement office. They tend to be introverted. They get drained by too much interaction with people. I mean, they're phenomenal. At their so again, you begin to develop these lenses and realize, like I tell leaders all the time of companies like or entrepreneurs, I work with entrepreneurs all the time. You know, I'll say, look, the biggest mistake a leader can often make is to presume that their way of seeing the world is normal mm. be because when you meet then somebody who sees the world differently than you do, you will judge them as abnormal. When if the Enneagram is right, which I think it is, there are nine normals. Correct. Right? And Correct. so when a team gets a hold of this information, it's like the aperture kind of blows open and you go, oh, this is why so-and-so is not thriving. This it may be among other things, maybe a divorce and, you know, kid problems too. But, you know, this is why they're not thriving over here. This is why this person's humming along. When I go into a fives office, I know that I have to approach this conversation so differently than if I was in an eights office. You know, when I'm doing a 360 on somebody, I can't tell a two the same things I tell a five in the same way anyway. Otherwise, it might crush them. They tend to be very, very sensitive to criticism and, and feeling devalued. So again, you know, it makes for a wise leaders and entrepreneurs and understanding clients. Oh my gosh, you know, if your clients a bunch of coders, you better <laughs> you better get ready to deal with them a lot differently than you are with you know hedge fund managers. You know, so anyway, your typical type for hedge fund managers, let's say. So, you know, get a book. 
start there. That's the, probably the, you know, take the IQ9 test on my website. That's probably the most cost efficient way of just getting started. Well, as the leader of a newish growing team, I look forward to getting every team member the book, taking the I-9 and then working on it together. I will say I'm very familiar with the Enneagram and a couple of our team members are and we play, um, we are, we're a virtual team. So we have a series of games and I had mentioned just Again, this is my three thinking that three is normal. And I said in Slack, no, I only play games I know I can win. And then Felicia, a team owner, I remember, I remember on her team says, Hey, Jasmine, your three is showing. Be aware. I just loved that we were able to correspond in the language where I'm like, You're right. Sometimes people play games for the fun of it. What yeah. a novel idea. What a yes. novel idea. <laughs> so, um, just that knowing and understanding, Ian, for people who want to know more, I mean, if, if you want to know more, you have a membership, you have a website, you have books, what is going to be the place for them to connect with you? and follow you even on places like Instagram. Tell us all the goods. Sure. Uh, so across all my social channels, it's at Ian Morgan Cron, I-A-N-M-O-R-G-A-N-C-R-O-N. I always have to spell it because it's kind of an odd name. <laughs> um, and uh, obviously my book, The Road Back to You, An Enneagram Journey to Self-Discovery. They can go to my website again, ianmorgancron.com, and they can learn about the IEQ9. They can learn about my courses. Uh, they can learn about my new membership subscription for people who want to have more access and time with me that's more personal and direct than they can get otherwise. And um, like you, we have a growing, wonderful business, and uh, it's wonderful to get up in the morning and feel like you're not only making a good living, but you're making a good difference in the world. So I'm mm. grateful. I couldn't have said it better. Ian, thank you so much for sharing so generously of your time. May your work and your energy seed only the best seed so that we can grow into a garden of goodness and have more self-awareness of ourselves and others. I appreciate you. I hope you have a beautiful day. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. I loved that interview. Ian is such a kind, wise, and witty person, and I hope you loved listening to this interview as much as I enjoyed talking to him. I'm going to be honest, this conversation really opened my eyes to how my personality type affects my business. One of the biggest things I've noticed about myself, I'm a type three, the achiever. I've noticed that I aim to get things done in the most efficient amount of time, like planning my social media content. You know, it's like I aim to think, how can I get it done better, faster, smarter? How can I continue iterating so that I get to, number one, have more of a life, and number two, have more fun in my business? But I couldn't do this without a system that empowers me to work smarter, not harder. And friend, I want to teach you how to work less too. That is why I love an upcoming class that I'm going to teach. It's one of my favorites. It's called How to Plan, Create, and Execute a Month of Social Media Post in One Day. You are going to learn how to pick the perfect photos, what type of captions work best, and when you should be posting to help you plan 30 days of content in just one day. If creating content is one of the hardest things you do in your business, then please, friend, regardless of your Enneagram type, you have to join me at jasminestar.com forward slash 30 days. I want you to work as efficiently as possible one day per month so you can get back to doing what you love. Does it sound like something you want to do? Of course. It's like yes or yes. You could register at jasminestar.com forward slash 30 days. I can't wait to hang out with you and I will see you then.